Good morning. Glad you're awake and alert in here. There is no better way to start the service with a bunch of beautiful children singing, right? Amen. And as you've noticed, as it goes further along, they get older and uglier, right? I, uh, I've been doing some sermon research for today's message uh, throughout the week, and I have been encountering people and asking them a surprising question. Maybe some of you have served to offer up some data, but uh, at least seven or eight times when I've seen people, uh, I would say to them, how's your relationship with your spouse? And to a person, the answer would be something like this. Well, I think it's pretty good. I've been treating him well. I've been treating her well. I have uh, been really happy. I, I feel like things are good. I've done this and I've done that and I and I. And isn't it amazing if you stop and think about it, if I were to ask you that same question today, how's your relationship with so-and-so, that most of your answers would start with that little word I? Because when we think in terms of relationship, we think about, number one, what we're putting into it ourselves. Uh, number two, we think about what we're getting out of it. And it, it, it's interesting that when we talk about God, that our relationship with Him seems to be based on our performance at any given time. Uh, if I were to say, how are things between you and God, you might answer me by saying, you know, not bad. I, I've been doing a pretty good job being a Christian lately. Or, not bad, I, I feel pretty close to him. Not bad, I've been coming to church. I've been there some Wednesday nights even. I've been coming a lot. I've been giving, going, and doing the things that I should do. And I say all of that to say this because the message today is follow me to second place. That most of the time when we think about our relationship with God, we couch it in terms of what we're feeling, what we're doing, how we're performing, and how much we love Him. How much we love Him. But reality says this. When you're following Jesus, what place are you in? Who's first? Who leads? You're in second place. And your relationship with God is not so much about how much you love Him or how into Him you are or how appreciative you are of what has happened in your life. Your relationship with God is best based entirely on how much he loves you. He sought you out. He offered his love to you. And he began to pour out his love in your life. None of us would have a relationship with God were it not for his love because our love, our obedience, our performance would not be enough to sustain that relationship. Second place, I want you to write this down, means realizing the most important figure in your relationship with God is not you. 
it's not you. We often make following Jesus about ourselves. But it's about him. When, when we think about our walk with him, it, it's not where is he taking us, how much is he loving us, what's he doing in our life, what's he sacrificing, what's he pouring out on us, what truth is he speaking into our life. It's about here's what I'm doing. Here's how close I'm following. Matter of fact, we get gratification out of being a closer follower than other people. And those folks who seem to be outside of a relationship with him often receive our condemnation because we think it's about us being good and better when it's about him, when it's about him. A much bigger concept. A much bigger concept than you loving him, although that's essential, is how much he loves you. When, uh, when you're in the heat of the battle, when, when you're in a struggle, sometimes it's a, maybe an argument, oftentimes it's just a, a pressure-packed situation that requires you to do something uh, dramatic, uh, something powerful, isn't it amazing how what seems to come out of those situations, you know, when, when people argue, you know what I think they do? You know, they say things they don't mean, but in reality, I think they say things they really mean. And a situation kind of like that in the Scripture where our text is found this morning uh, in, in John chapter 11, and, and there is a critical situation occurring in the village of Bethany, remember the family, Mary, Martha, and the brother Lazarus. They were tight-knit with Jesus. Uh, it, it, Jesus called them on a couple of occasions, his, his friends. It's their house where he stayed. Uh, their, their families were tied together in a significant way. And there are several passages of Scripture that relate to events that happened in Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house. Jesus was a few miles or a journey away from Mary and Martha, from the village of Lazarus, and Lazarus had fallen ill. Falling ill is an understatement because really he was at death's door. And so Mary and Martha determined that if they could get Jesus to come to town, that Lazarus could be saved. And so they set out to write a plea or a letter to Jesus. Now, I want you to think about it before we read this passage. If your spouse was near death's door, if your brother or your sister or, or a mother, father, child, if your preacher was at death's door, and you were writing a letter that you thought could be life-saving, if, if you could get this person to come, how would you craft that letter? How careful would you choose your words? What would you say to catch the attention of someone who might have the capacity to completely reverse that situation? So I want you to understand the essential nature of this letter before we read it together. It had to be perfect 
in order for Mary and Martha to receive the desired effect. And here's what it says. Now a man named Lazarus was sick, Bethany in the village, the village of Bethany, his sisters, Mary and Martha. Skip down to verse 3. So his sisters sent word to Jesus. And here's what they said. Lord, the one you love is dead, is about to die, sick. Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, on the surface, when you look at that, it's kind of surprising, isn't it? If, if uh, I was going to receive that kind of letter, Todd, would you come do this for us? I would expect that letter to say, the one who loves you. The one who loves you, who cares about you, that would seem to pull at my heartstrings. This, this person who, who, who you mean so much to, would you come? But that's not what they said to Jesus, is it? They didn't say, Lord, the one who loves you, the, the man who's like a brother to you, the one who's, who, who's done so much for you, who's been one of your closest friends, Lord, the one who loves you, is sick unto death. That's not what they said. Lord, the one you love, the one you love is sick. The Apostle John, we have four books in the New Testament penned by him. And in that set of writing, Five different times, John nicknamed himself. Anybody here ever nicknamed yourself? It's kind of weird, isn't it? Kind of awkward. I, I remember when I was 11, I decided I wanted uh, my friends to call me Chip. I don't know why I decided that, but I nicknamed myself. I told the teacher, I told my friends, and for about a week, they called me Chip. Stupid, I know. You put yourself out there, sometimes you get it back, don't you? I got over that stage in my life, but John nicknamed himself. You remember the name he gave himself? John, the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, not only is that awkward, that's a little arrogant, isn't it, if you think about it? John, the disciple, five times he calls himself that. Can you imagine what the other apostles may have felt? Well, what are we, chopped liver? John, the disciple, who Jesus loved. But when I stop and think about it, and I think you'd agree, maybe not just John's nickname and maybe not this, this passionate plea for Mary and Martha to Jesus, they're not just in a capsule. Because I really believe the whole of Scripture, every line in Scripture, every book in Scripture points to that essential fact that God is in love with you. He's in love with you. That He desires to walk closely, to share life, 
to lead you, to guide you, to love you. His love is extraordinary and it's extravagant. It is unconditional. There is no other love like his love. And this book we call the Bible That's the theme. That's the truth. And your salvation, listen to me, doesn't stem from how much you love him. It's from how much he loves you. How much he loves you. Isn't it amazing that we spend a lot of time worrying about our performance and and, and what we can do to impress God? Truth of the matter is, whatever great thing that you could do to impress God, whatever new thing you could do to serve Him, to demonstrate your love for Him, Jesus has already done. And when you know Christ, when you follow Him, when you're connected to Him, when God looks at you, He doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. Isn't that amazing? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. God so loved the world. That's kind of a different kind of love. It's something bigger that we can really understand. So loved. It doesn't just say, For God loved the world and here's what he did. God loved the world this much, this much, this extravagantly. God so loved the world. God doesn't feel love. God doesn't do love. God is love. God's love. To know him be in relationship with him is to be loved in a way that no one else could possibly love you. A bigger concept than you loving him is that he so loves you. He so loves you. When I think about that kind of love and I, and I try to illustrate it or articulate it, the closest I can get is, is sometimes you, you encounter a parent who is just eat up with love, don't you? You might see them at the soccer field or the t-ball field, or you might see them uh, at a cheerleading camp, and everything their child does, they're taking a picture of it, and they're walking up the sidelines or wherever their kid is, and they're saying, that's my girl, that's my boy, do you see that? The kid can be terrible at what they're doing, and they're still right in the middle of it, whooping and hollering and acting like a fool. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen a parent who's eat up with a case of those so loves? You couldn't get them to quit loving their child, could you? There's nothing that child could do. And that's how God loves you. Now, some of us have given God a rough time this week, haven't we? We've stretched his love a little bit. Some of you have made it tougher than others, right? Amen? Thank you. 
God keeps pursuing me, doesn't he? He keeps chasing me. He keeps loving, forgiving, not giving up, bringing me back. I'm glad I had a mom and dad like that. I don't know that my dad hollered as much as he should have at the basketball games or the baseball games, but I really wasn't very good. <laughs> I want you to watch a video. This is, this is a scene from the movie Big Daddy. Adam Sandler, great theologian, right? And, and Adam Sandler had, had a child placed on his doorstep. Not his child, turned out it was his roommate. But he became parent slash guardian of this child. And his own father, you'll see in this scene, comes to argue against Adam Sandler getting custody. Some great concepts here, you watch. How did this sweet little boy, Julian, end up under your supervision? I told social services that my name was Kevin Garrity. And, of course, you are not Kevin Garrity. No. So you're lying. Yes. Like the time I found a bag of pot in your underwear drawer, and you told me that you thought they were pencil shavings. Yeah. And remember when I called you up and told you that your Aunt Faye was coming to New York, and I wanted you to take her around, show her the city? And you said that you had better things to do, didn't you? That's right. Now, I'm curious. Just what were those better things that you had to do? Jethro Tull had a reunion concert in New Jersey, so I caught that. Uh-huh. And what happened to your Aunt Faye that weekend? She died. Yes, she did. By any chance, did you happen to make it to her funeral? No. Why not? I went to Jones Beach, got drunk, and fell asleep. <laughs> yes. Some role model. Yeah. Your Honor... My son doesn't have health insurance. He doesn't know how to boil an egg. He filed for Social Security at the age of 30. He is a drain on the economy, on the country, and most of all, on me! Your Honor, to give this young man custody over another life is not only wrong, it's insane. I love you. What? You don't have to be scared. It's all right. What are you talking about? I'm not scared. If I get custody of Julian, I'll be his father forever. And that scares you because you think there's a good chance I might fail. Sonny, it's more than a chance. It's a certainty. You're wrong, Dad. You can be scared that I might get pickpocketed in a bad neighborhood or I might break my leg skiing, but don't be scared about me being a dad because I will not fail at that. I can't. I love this kid too much. I love him as much as you love me, Dad. And I'm going to give him advice and I'm going to guide him and I'm going to be there for him whenever he needs me. I'll fly to New York to be at his court case, even if I disagree with why he's there in the first place. Sonny work in a toll booth. Don't be scared about me making money. I am in love with a beautiful girl who makes plenty of it. She'll be my sugar mama. Oh, I gotta get me one of those. I know this is the right thing to do, Dad, because I would die for this kid, just so he wouldn't have to feel one ounce of sadness. 
That's why you're here right now, to protect me, to be scared for me, to be a good father. And that's exactly what I'm going to be. Hello, Dad. Yeah, I just wanted to say I love you. Hi, Mom. Could you put down the phone for a sec? Is Flint kind to Papa? Can I borrow that when you're done? Your Honor, my son deserves this kid. God won't stop loving you, no matter what you do, where you go. He will continue to love you even if you refuse to return that love. You can't shake him. I've tried, haven't you? I have tried to just say, God, quit whispering in my ear. God, let me be. Give me some space, right? He won't do it. He won't do it. You see, his love for you is not dependent on you loving him first. His love for you is not dependent on your obedience. It works and continues through your rebellion, through your obstinance, through your pride, through your delinquency. He just keeps loving you. And I wonder if there wasn't a conversation much like we saw in the video in heaven where Jesus said to God, I love my children so much that I'll die for them. And he proved that he meant. I've said that, haven't you? And even as I said it, I love my children so much I'll die for them, I was hoping it didn't come up. Can you just stop for a moment and think about how much you're loved. What God was willing to do to demonstrate the extravagance of his love. You know, when I think about that letter, that plea that Mary and Martha wrote to Jesus, Truth of the matter is, it's not so much a plea as it is a prayer. Wouldn't you agree? A prayer. Lord, the one you love is sick. It was a prayer. It was a, 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 a tug at God's heart. It was a, 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 a prayer of, please, Lord, do what only you can do. And I pray that prayer practically every day, but I don't pray it with the boldness that Mary and Martha prayed, with the confidence and the assurance that Mary and Martha prayed. I'm, I, I'm not able to say what the Apostle John said, Lord, it's the one you love.
But you know what I'm going to do this week? Every time I talk to God, I'm going to say, Father, it's Todd, the one you love. It's me, the one you love. And I wonder if you wouldn't say that same prayer a few times this week. Not so much to feel good about yourself, but simply to remember that you are the one that he loves. Don't pray it in front of a bunch of Christians because they'll freak out. But fall to your knees sometime this week and say, God, it's me. I'm the one you love. And because I know how much you love me, because I know what I mean to you, and I know you're closest when I'm hurting, I know you're the healer when I'm wounded, I know your forgiveness and grace when I've been stupid. Because I know that, I know that it's not about my performance, Father. I'm going to quit obsessing over my inadequacies and shortcomings. I'm going to quit obsessing over what I've done wrong or not good enough. I'm going to quit obsessing over not being everything that I should be because I am the one you love. I'm the one you love. And I know, I know that you'll never stop that you'll never give up on me. Thank you, God, for loving me, for giving me what I didn't deserve and for what I'll never lose. Your love. Would you bow your heads with me? sing the next verse of this song and we're going to remember and realize the enormous
enormity, preciousness of his love. Maybe you need to come to this altar, bow and pray and thank God that he loved you, loves you when you don't deserve it. Come and share in communion, but don't let this thought slip from your mind. Don't let this powerful moment pass without understanding what you mean to God. Sing with us. Come and respond. He is jealous. He is jealous for me.